Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Heko nai purangi te nei na te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hi, this is comedian and depressed alcoholic James Nokise, and you're listening to Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower, a podcast about headspace and happiness for my safe place, the shower, with fried chicken. This episode, I'm talking to Leonie Hayden, journalist, commentator, podcaster, and magazine editor. I'll learn something about fried chicken etiquette. Let's um, explain fried chicken and soft food <laughs> Yo, you, to the internet. Are you chicken-splaining me? <laughs> Her thoughts on the Māori-Pākehā relationship. I kind of compare it to, like, the muggles and the wizards mm. in the Harry Potter universe. And her own safe spaces. I have found refuge in empty bathtubs more often than I should probably admit. Some of this will get a bit real, the language, the subjects, so make sure you're in a safe space with your comfort food and join us eating fried chicken in the shower. Tell me about this goddamn brilliant chicken. So we're going to be eating what is widely recognised as being one of the best fried chickens in all of Auckland town. All right. We're going to eat some peaches, okay. hot fried chicken. Peaches, hot fried chicken? Yeah. I, does hot mean spicy? I assume so. All right. I actually haven't had the pleasure yet. Let's get into this. Let's get into it. Let's, I'm, I'm excited by this. Yeah, man. This is amazing. I, be, I believe, I believe ah, that this is what is known in African-American culture as soul food. <laughs> Food of the soul. I believe that particular soundbite is uh, called asking for a complaint. <laughs> no, please. Let's um, explain fried chicken and soft food <laughs> Yo, you, to the internet. Are you chicken-splaining me? <laughs> oh, my God, you just chicken-splained. Oh, I'm so sorry. I apologise, internet. I don't mean to chicken-splain. It's so good. It's super juicy, mm-hmm. crunchy. You did spin-off TV. Now, I have to confess, I was overseas. Mm. I was like, I want to see this thing, and I couldn't. I was really frustrated. Yeah, the same. What was it like? Look, I had a really good time working on the show. Mm. Myself and um, our, our co-presenter, Alex Casey, mm-hmm. who I also do a podcast with. It was cool going into that with her, because we were both sort of new and in the dark about what it was going to be like and sort of ready to experience it together. But it also meant that when the shit hit the fan a couple of times, we had each other for support. Yeah, cool. My favourite parts of the show were writing our links together on Thursday afternoons, which we used to do. We'd lock ourselves in a room, mm-hmm. make just the dumbest jokes imaginable, and actually laugh until we cry all afternoon long, and yeah, then awesome. come out with something resembling a script at the end of it. So that was like the highlight of the entire thing for me. From what I understand, pretty polarizing and I mean that in a cool way yeah you press some buttons it's it's existence pressed a lot of buttons not necessarily the content so right from there what do you mean there are certain parties that um, are predisposed to not liking the spin-off that's fine you know it's not everything for everybody mm. so of course we got New Zealand on the air funding for the TV show mm. so there was already people sort of decrying very loudly that it's unfair that we get that money mm. Um, and that what we created wasn't worthy of the money. Which Those is people are going to love this show. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> the 
next New Zealand on air. Kia ora. Kia ora for the chicken. And, you know, other sort of media companies that don't love the fact that we've criticised stuff that they've done in the past, when it's open season to yeah. everyone we've ever criticised to point the gun back on us, which, you know, is fair. And it wasn't perfect, we'll be the first to admit that. And also mm. Alex and I were green as hell, had no idea what we were doing, so yeah. it's not like we expected uh, reviews to come out being glowing about me and Alex. However, the segments that we were featuring, the people we were working with, these amazing comedians like mm. Freaking Dangerous Bro, yeah. like Ra Pumare, Angela Driver, these people have been around a long time who do know what they're doing. Mm and whose um, contributions to the show were incredible and so funny. That content didn't feature in any of the criticism. So people weren't so much criticising the show as just the spin-off and Alex and I. Um, so yeah, the, a lot of the attacks, as it were, felt very sort of pointed. Personal. Personal, they felt personal. In stand-up, you often get like weird generalisation when it comes to critiques. Yeah. You know, we've been had Kiwis aren't funny. Yeah. For like, and they narrow that down to women aren't funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Rose Matafeo wins the best comedy yeah. in the world. And it's like, bah. like, how good are you at contextualising that kind of critique? When the, the main um, criticism we got was like this massive Herald review, really, really bad, really scathing. Mm-hmm. Again, mostly about Alex and I and the spin-off in general, rather than the rest of the content of the show. Mm. I wasn't particularly angry at the review itself. I understand media rivalry, I understand the landscape, Mm. I understand that what we were doing wasn't perfect, but what came up around that was just this pure malicious glee and this real I told you so attitude. Yeah, so that that weekend that that first terrible review came out, I was trying to be strong for Mm. the rest of the crew. Yeah. And just being like, you know what, this is just part of the game. It's part yep. of the game. It's not a big deal. And then I spent the entire weekend in bed. Um, and have you, let me ask you a question. Of course. Have you ever had Caucasian audiences respond badly to your racially charged humour? Uh, define badly. Right. Do you mean aggressively? Heckling or, well, yeah, any kind of, even just verbal aggression. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Still. Still, especially, like, if I'm going to... Because some of my shows, like, Australia, let's talk about the Gollywogs. Yeah. You know, you, you're picking a fight with the title. Do they yell at you? Yeah, but um, I'm seasoned, mm, mm-hmm. you know? And, and also... I like this chicken. Yeah, I just gloriously <laughs> tasty chicken. Oh, my Lord. But also, you know, it's contextual. Mm. My parents went through harder stuff and had harder stuff said to them. Sure. And I have, I've had some horrible things there. I've had some horrible experiences. But they're not as bad. And this is why I think multiculturalism can be a gift. Because mm. I've got mates from Southeast Asia or yep. from South America or even black American friends. And, you know, no matter some dude yelling out some stuff yeah. who's still giving me their money because they paid for a ticket. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not the most horrible thing. Well, that's a healthy way of looking at it. I think, you, I think, you know, you get older and you, you learn how to take that punch. <laughs> yeah. And you also learn what fights to give your energy to. Have you ever had, like, panto... Like, I, I call it panto racism. Because okay. it's racism that's just so stupid. Oh, yeah. They're my favourite ones. That you stop feeling offended and you start yeah. feeling sorry for the person saying it. Yeah. Like, oh, man, you just... Do you, do you need, like, lessons? Yeah. <laughs> 
got to get you to school. So anytime we do a piece around um, education opportunities that are specifically for Māori Pacific students, yeah, um, we get people just coming out with the most um, hilariously misinformed opinions about how um, Māori's go to university for free. Eating fried chicken in the shower, something to cram after the exam. It's the first time I read an article of yours, uh-huh. and it was when Rip It Up did the review on Dope. Oh, yeah. And I that was trippy. And you were like a former editor, and, and you uh, were asked to write about that. Like, was that. Was that sad? It's fine. I, I don't like how my time at Rip It Up ended, and I don't like where the direction of it went after that anyway. So, mm. was, I mean, I've got a bit of distance now, but I, the stress at the time was pretty extreme. And that was the, the first time I started getting anxiety, and I started having medication around that time to get through it all. And that was also my first experience of the worst stress-related health outcome ever, Okay, not the worst ever, but I started losing my hair. Oh, man. Um, and I was going through a particularly difficult period with work and personally, and a chunk of my hair, like that big, came out of the back of my head. It was completely bald. Oh, no. It was real buzzy. And I didn't even know about it. I was just putting my Wait. hair out one day, and my boyfriend was like, what did you do to the back of your head? I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Oh, and during spin-off? Any, no, no. Why? Honestly, it's the... On the one hand, the busiest I've ever been and mm. the least stressed. And mm. I tell you why, it's all about support. I think no matter like where the stress or the anxiety in your life is coming from, the best treatment is a community or a support network. Another podcast series you do, um, is it On The Rack? Yep. Yeah. Um, can you tell me how that one came about? It's a feminist podcast hosted by Alex and mm. um, comedian Michelle Court. Uh, very gifted Michelle Court. That's right, she's my sensei. I think, I think she was my sensei for a while. Yeah, she's incredible. Um, and basically it's just a space for the three of us to get together, have a glass of wine, talk about um, what has been happening sort of in society and culture and in the media that directly impacts women. We like to have a laugh, so we talk a lot about, you know, we have our mansplain of the month. and We like to not take things too seriously. Because it's meant to be, it's meant to emulate the chat that women have when they're just together in a group of women, where you mm-hmm. get together with your girlfriends and just talk cack. Why are those spaces important? I mean, I think we all experience stress as a result of the internet, mm. right, of being online. And then those are compounded when you're a woman and when you're Māori. And so you kind of need the problem to be part of the solution as well I think. So online communities especially if you're isolated from people who don't think the same way as you. Like one thing we get a lot from our listeners is women who are like um, I don't have friends who I can sort of explicitly talk about this stuff with. My partner wouldn't understand and so you know this is why this space is so helpful for me because a lot of uh, a lot of it is women who don't know how to word who don't have the courage or don't have the language to stand up when they know that something sexist or misogynistic is happening in front of them or to them. Um, and so we get a lot of people just saying, you know, what would I, what should I do in a situation like this? And then all these amazing people like chime in with like awesome advice and jokes and 
it's just cool. It's so cool. Most spaces are designed for the westernised default, right, which is Pākehā and male and able-bodied and cisgendered. So the people that aren't in that group or aren't in all of those groups need a space where they also get to be the default. And so it's not to the exclusion of someone who identifies differently. It's just that you have lots of spaces where you are the default personality type and I need my space to be that as well. And when you find those spaces, I always think of it as, oh, yeah, I think someone maybe actually said this and I've just adopted it. But it's like when you find yourself in one of those spaces, you find yourself breathing as if you've been holding your breath. Mm. I feel the same way at Marae, where you are in an exclusively or predominantly Māori space where you don't have to try to make sure you're not saying or being offensive or controversial or anything like that. You're mm. in a brown space where you, the default is brown, just be brown, breathe brown, mm. talk brown, sing brown, you know. And then it makes you realise when you're in those spaces that, yeah, you've been, like, tense, sort of spiritually, in all these other spaces that weren't designed for you. Like, with tikanga, like, does that inform a lot of your work? Like, does that, is, is it its predominance? Is it, does it simply sit underneath? Or? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a good place to start from with, like, everything. Mm-hmm. Luckily, there's tikanga Māori, there's rules that help you do that without you having to just sort of muddle through on your own, you know, like our ancestors made rules for a lot of stuff mm-hmm. because it's what um, creates a space that is spiritually sound for you to do what you need to do in. And I have always thought that um, sort of rituals of encounter, the tikanga that comes with meeting people, is like the best way to start like business meetings and mm. stuff. And I really feel like it's something that New Zealand businesses should adopt. That ritual where you where you mihi and everyone says where they're from and then you share breath with hongi and, and then you share food. Like imagine how much better governments would work and big mm. business would work and finance would work if people really understood the person that they were sitting down with to talk to, mm. you know, in every situation. Eating fried chicken in the shower, a pathway to world peace. How does colonisation feature in your work? Oh, the C word. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I kind of look. I, I've I've been dancing around it, but <laughs> yeah, colonisation, or I guess more accurately, decolonisation is kind of at the centre of what I'm about. I kind of compare it to like the Muggles and the Wizards mm. in the Harry Potter universe, and that like the Muggles, aka mainstream media or Pakeha media or mm. Pakeha uh, society walk around unaware that this sort of magical world mm. exists within their world. You mm. know what I mean? Um, and that magical world, Te Ao Māori, is, has its own rules and it has its own even celebrities and music stars. And mm. like at every single, in every single facet, it's a slightly alternate reality. And I guess the point of decolonisation, in my mind, is to open up that world. Do you carry a lot of anger? Ah, uh, yes and no. So I don't like fly into rages about how 
Maori are treated or our despicable history or like each new little thing I might learn about like a law that was like specifically designed to steal land from Maori or um, the papakainga down at Orake at um, being burnt to the ground because the Queen was coming for a visit. That was in 1952, by the way. It wasn't that long ago. Like, each little thing that comes across my path that I feel upset about, that I can feel, kind of feel the generational trauma from, it's just, just keeps that little fire alive, but also makes sure that I'm not out here losing my shit all the time. And so it's that that secret that I'm angry all the time is what stops me from feeling angry, weirdly. You know, a few uh, BSA complaints are fine. We've had, mm-hmm. had a bunch of those. I've had heaps of those. Yeah. Um, around if I am talking about powerful white men, then I'm being sexist. Right. Yeah, so we have a, I get a lot of complaints about how sexist I am and how racist I am because I talk about white men right. as a group. And if I talked about Maoris in the same way, you would call me a racist, so therefore it's racist. So we've had lots of discussions about why reverse racism isn't a thing. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting because, you know, it's, it's always the white men who are saying that. Like, it's a weird cycle of the white man says something racist. The old white men, not, hashtag not all white men. Not all white men. Um, shout out to our producers. Um, <laughs> uh, but also to, like... They say it, you publish it, and then they go, you're just saying I'm a racist. One of the funniest ironies of what I do is when people say, if I say, I think this is racist, people go, you're racist for saying it's racist. Yeah, because it's... It's the the predominant argument. It's like, (laughs) why are you so stupid? Is there even any point to those conversations once you establish they're just essentially yeah. race-baiting you. Well, no, exactly. Once you've established that, that's when you walk away. But I, I don't think you can necessarily tell that or assume from the outset. Um, some people just genuinely have never had the other side put to them. But like, um, when, like when, it's, when it's someone like Don Brash. Oh, everyone should stop talking to him. Yeah. Like, everyone. No, there's not a single fact or argument that he doesn't know. There just isn't. Um, I mean, there's even been pieces that I've read um, where they've sort of tried to humanise him somewhat. Not saying he's not a human. Also saying he is a lizard person. Um, But, don't get me wrong, he's not like this sort of evil dictator type. I don't seem like that. He just sort of is representative of a certain generation of older New Zealander to me. I don't think he's evil. But I absolutely think he's the wrong person to ever be a commentator on anything in the media to do with Te Reo Māori, that needs to stop. Mm-hmm. He has no knowledge or expertise to be commenting on any angle of that kaupapa, so you guys need to stop booking him to come on your show. <laughs> By all means, get him to talk about the Reserve Bank or business. Mm. That's fine. Because one thing I find in these conversations is when people are polite... Yeah. You always get a focus and go, no, no, I've talked to these people and they're polite. Yeah. And you often hear people go, well, look, if someone is politely engaging, yeah. like if you call me the N-word but say it softly <laughs> and with a smile, it's less offensive. Yeah. And it's like, if you are not polite... Then You're overreacting and hysterical. Because what Oh, women are very, very, very familiar with this scenario of being attacked politely by a man who makes you mad because they've got no emotional investment in what mm. what you're talking about but of course you do so you uh, react emotionally and then you get told you're being hysterical 
that's the oldest, oldest trick in the book. <laughs> Would you go on the AM show with Don Brash if Don Brash sang a song to you <laughs> and then gave you some food? Yes, but that's the <laughs> only circumstances. <laughs> Eating fried chicken in the shower. Self-care when no one's there. Because are you, are you fluent in Tereo? No. But do you find that sometimes you're just the Tereo word slots in? Yes, absolutely. I mean, Kaupapa is a great example because there's like 10 words you can replace Kaupapa with that yeah. aren't quite right. In every language, there are words that express a concept that don't exist in another language. Mm. We have access to two, well, three if you include New Zealand Sign, where we could be expressing ourselves even better than we already do because we would have more tools to do so. The best example of this was from Alice Sneddon's Bad News, mm-hmm. the one where she talks to Dr. Don Brash. Ah, of course. She gives him like a flashcard quiz of different Māori words and says, you know, do you know what this means? One of them is Fano, and he says... See, now that is a word I do know and I like because it means uh, it means not just a, a small family unit but extended family and it's a great concept or whatever. And she's like, so you admit that there is some inherent value in Te Reo Māori. She basically did the most amazing gotcha moment of my whole year by getting <laughs> Dr Don to admit that, yes, this one word expresses a concept that isn't expressed in English. Mm. If you can get him to admit that, mm. you know, imagine what the rest of us could do with the language. Does your mum look at your work? Yes. I said that really unconfidently. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she does. Is she fluent in today? Or? No, so my mum is Pākehā. I am. I was adopted. I'm adopted. Um, she was very good, though, at making sure. So I did go to Kohanga Reo and um, I did sort of have an upbringing that let me walk in both worlds and I am in contact with my birth family. I didn't grow up like just with white people, but the infrastructure of say a Devonport upbringing like the school for instance where I went to mm. no to the classes my mum was in there fighting this like ancient elderly principal who wouldn't let any to in the school or computers yeah so it's not the 50s kids no <laughs> this is like, in the 80s it's your solo pakiha yeah mom. she's in there like fighting <laughs> and I mean what we what she fought for ended up being like a, a 15 minute like tape that they played over the loudspeaker on Friday mornings where you learn mm. Kiora, Tena Kwe, Tena In the 80s? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, any other family? Mum remarried, so I, I got a dad when I was about 10, um, who is the actual salt of the earth. He's just the nicest man alive. Pakeha, Māori. He's Pakeha. Yeah. And um, with that, I got an older sister, who was also really cool. Um, she's quite a bit older than me. She's got nephews, so I'm like the weird childless one. She's like the super domesticated one. <laughs> Marketing manager and full-time mum of three children and oh, runs a farm and... Stop it. I'm just like the weird city kid. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I, I can relate to this very yeah. hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you ever have that thing, though, then, where you get people go, oh, you, just, you just hate white people, right? You hate Pakeha. And you're like, mate, come to my house. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I've never, I can honestly say I've never once in my life thought to myself, man, I hate white people. <laughs> Not even when mum's like, clean your room. I mean, I thought I hate that white person, <laughs> specifically. Yeah, individually. Individually, yeah. But you didn't see your mum making you clean your room as a sign of a greater colonial <laughs> oppression. <laughs> I mean, I tried to argue the case. She wasn't having it. But it's like when sort of people accuse you of being like a man-hater. Like, the patriarchy's not men. The mm. patriarchy is a system built to advantage men. Mm. 
So I can hate the patriarchy without hating men. And, like, men themselves can hate the patriarchy without hating themselves. Like, mm. it's, it's the same with sort of structural racism. I can hate structural racism and the effects of colonisation with all of my heart, which I do. But I'm not out here thinking that all white people are bad. Just, just a couple. Just a couple. Just a couple, a handful who also happen to have quite a lot of power. Buffle shower. Shower. But I have found refuge in empty bathtubs more often than I should probably admit. Uh, a couple of um, panic attacks where that's the place I've ended up, was just sitting in a bathtub. Have you, have you thought of keeping a mattress in the bathroom <laughs> just in case. case of panic attacks? It's not a bad idea. You're going to give it a try now. I actually you? am. <laughs> just be like a duvet. My flatmate's going to be, what the hell are you doing? It's just be like, oh, it's the generational trauma of the <laughs> colonial empire. <laughs> It's a symbol of oppression. Leave me alone. It's probably some sort of hangy scenario. You cover yourself like the Pacific Islanders <laughs> do with the rocks. <laughs> oh my god, human hangy. Human <laughs> hangy? <laughs> oh, see, oh, now we can't, no. we, we can't say the word human hangy because there's going to be people coming at you because they used to eat people. Yes, cannibals. Cannibals. For the record, I'm okay with that idea. Yeah. There are worse things you can eat than. Your vanquished enemy. You're a terrible vegetarian. I know, I really (laughs) (laughs) Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower was produced by Charlie Bleakley and presented by me, James Nokise. The engineer is Blair Stagpole. The executive producers are Justin Gregory and Tim Watkin. Subscribe to every episode of this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Radio Public, or at radionz.co.nz slash series. And while you're on Apple, please rate us by clicking on ratings and review, then the stars. But only give us five. It's really simple and means way more to us than it does to you. It's a great way to spread the word and get me more free fried chicken. If you want to share your safe space or comfort food, tweet me at James Nokise. All complaints can be tweeted to RNZ. Vaftailava Matewa. This podcast is made possible by the RNZ New Zealand On Air Innovation Fund.